Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Uh, I kind of have like weather whiplash this week um, in so far as it was been really, really sunny for most of the week. And then today I had massive wet flakes of snow just everywhere for like a solid hour. And then it was super duper sunny for solid like three hours. And now it's just kind of overcast. So I don't know what it's like outside. I'm frankly afraid that the world is just ending. Um, so how are you this week? I'm tired. But otherwise, good. I've got my last uh, out-of-town gig of the season, which is okay. – I'm, I'm sure it's very exciting for our listeners as well because that means that I will have better audio quality moving forward until we get to the fall again. Um, but for me, it mostly just means a couple real late nights, nothing like you know getting back from a long weekend of a gig at like 1 a.m. and then turning around and teaching like six hours later. Um, but after this, it's spring break. Which is exciting. Woo. Yes. I don't know what that means anymore. It for Woo. for me it means a slightly a different teaching schedule than I normally have, and it means getting some work done. Which is I like that's what I always do. So it's not that thrilling. But you know, I'll take what I can get. I would too. I I, I don't get weeks off anymore. Yeah. Well that's sad. Yeah, I I know a couple of musicians who are are taking the week because like the schools are closed. So if you teach at a school, you know, it's really hard to find other places to teach just that one week. Um, So I know some people who are just taking the week off and not worrying about it. And I mm-hmm. I, I was like, but but money. Also, it's not huh. good to randomly miss week. Like if you're a student, you shouldn't randomly miss weeks. It's, you know, the consistency is essential in, in learning an instrument. But like, I'm just so confused by that mindset of like you know what i really needed a break so i'm like i'm just taking the week i'm like that does not compute <laughs> but it, they're, they're probably in a much healthier mental space than i am probably it's that's a good thing that they're taking some time i look forward to getting some time over the summer when i'm at comic-con that's my vacation so i'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it then i imagine but uh, anyways, I, I'm uh, dithering here. I, I've, I've started rambling. We have lots of top of show news to talk about because we weren't able to do it last week. Uh, so let's dive in with the latest roundup of TV news. What's going on, Noel? Well, some of this, uh, a good chunk of it is actually from last week, um, mainly because I was too lazy to look up news for this week and busy. Um, so first up, um, last week broke that uh, Claire Foy's salary for the first two seasons of The Crown. She was paid less than Matt Smith, to which a lot of people went, I'm sorry, you know that Claire Foy is like really famous in Britain, right? Netflix? No, you just think that the guy who played Doctor Who's more famous gotcha was basically what was revealed um and then the producers were just like well don't worry no one's gonna get paid more than olivia coleman and everyone probably just went well duh because it's olivia coleman but the same logic should have applied for claire foy as well because she's incredibly well known in britain really well respected and it's sort of like 
I don't think a lot of people were going to tune in for necessarily to watch Matt Smith play Philip. So doesn't seem it seems a little weird to at least me anyway. How did you feel when you heard about this news? I was both shocked and not at all surprised. Um, So, yeah, I mean, she is the lead. It's very much her show. Uh, and, and does, she gives a spectacular performance, lots of awards buzz and, and like any of, anybody talking about the crown was talking about her. And yet he's a dude. So, I mean, and coming off of Doctor Who. So even though he was definitely a supporting character, apparently, particularly in the second season, which I did not watch, um, you know, I, I just, I wasn't surprised at all. Yeah. And I, I mean, I wish I had been surprised, but like you, I wasn't surprised. And I, didn't care for a lot of people like sort of normalizing it by saying, well, he probably just has a higher ask than she does. And it's just like, that doesn't matter. That doesn't make it better. Yeah. She's a, the lead of the show and there is no B she's the lead of the show. (laughs) Yep. Indeed. Uh, I was the Um, the only thing, only news from last week that was less surprising to me was this thing over at HBO where uh, one of the executives at HBO said that uh, was quoted as saying that Big Little Lies was, quote, raping HBO's budget uh, because it's such an expensive show. And like I that was the only thing that was less surprising to me. Of course, there's an executive at HBO that really thinks that that is appropriate terminology and how we should I mean it just explains so much about the decision making all the way at the line in production at HBO that leads to such a careless disregard for women's bodies on screen and just female characters in general but like of course yes Big Little Lies this super prestigious show that got you a bunch of Golden Globe and Emmy nominations and wins uh, and is expensive because it has a large cast of people who are worth every penny you're paying them. That is, that's, let's, let's use that term to define, you know, how you guys are doing financially. Way to go, HBO. Right. And it's just sort of bizarre because, like, they, uh, the executive who said it, who's the HBO drama executive, Francesca Orsi, um, said it in relation, and I'll give the full quote, is, From a budget standpoint, going into season two of Big Little Lies without any options in place, we've been um sort of raped. And it is just sort of a bizarre sort of statement um to make um like you were saying in regards to this show it speaks to a certain degree of culture that is has apparently seeped into HBO's like executive line from top to bottom and also just sort of bad planning on HBO's part that they didn't have any options in place for potentially doing a second season of this just on a contingent sort of plan um so it's just it's weird up and down but just the language that Orsi uses is just just terrible well and also i think it's pretty rich on several fronts but not the you know like another front is like you don't have to make a big little lie season two you're choosing to to make this and so people then being able to demand a pay increase after turning out such terrific work in season one and being worth that pay increase. So therefore you're paying it. You're complaining about that. You're complaining about people be, being able to actually negotiate with some power and to get paid. And also, I don't think it's coincidence that this show where, you know, this, this discussion is coming up is a show headlined and centered on women. 
I don't like there wasn't this kind of conversation around the renegotiations that undoubtedly were happening at various points with Game of Thrones, uh, with some of these other shows. Like, granted, they locked many of the castmates into long term contracts because they knew it was they weren't planning on it just being a one off. But still, this is the show where they are referencing that. And I, I maybe they would have used the same repugnant terminology on a very bro centric show. Maybe they would have used that terminology for the, when they brought back Entourage uselessly. Sure. But I, I just, I, I doubt that. <laughs> I very much doubt that. Yeah, and I do too. So it, it's just really sad yeah. and depressing and not at all great. But speaks again to the sort of how we've normalized this sort of culture within our discourse to certain degrees. That it's... It's something that someone just says off the cuff, and it's just like, oh boy. Well, exactly. So, certainly, that's normalized at HBO. And if this is yeah. what they're saying to us, like to the public, knowing that they're on the record, what do you think they're saying right. when they're off the record? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. Um, let's move on to happier, but, you know, potentially sadder news over at Jane the Virgin. Um, the we're going to get more direction from Gina Rodriguez. She's planning to or hoping to direct in season five. She directed, of course, an episode this season. Uh, Justin Baldoni is going to be directing this week's episode as we record. Um, but she mentioned Rodriguez mentioned in an interview that um, she was going to direct next season, the final season. Now, this is not the show hasn't even been renewed for next season yet. I'm not pulling a limitless. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, it certainly hasn't been renewed for a fifth and and final season. So this could change, who knows, but it's not surprising that they're kind of thinking about next year as the last season of the show. Were you surprised to hear this? Were you excited about Rodriguez directing? And, and how do you feel about the show potentially ending after one more year? Well, it's something that you and I have been discussing in that they feel like they're ramping up for like an end game. And certainly what they've been doing recently sort of feels like they're getting ready to wrap up the show, which is good because I think that there's only so much more um, energy that the show can really do, especially since they haven't really provided a solid alternative to Raph um, going forward for Jane. So they're sort of in an endgame, but I'm also just, CW hasn't renewed anything yet, which is really weird for them, but their productions, their production, um, uh, slate's probably really up in the air since they're adding an additional day and figuring out those gears has probably like slowed things down a lot um and i also just think that gina rodriguez is probably ready to be done um she's got the um her producing uh, uh production company um coming up and i don't know if you saw annihilation or not kate but gina rodriguez is ready to do some other stuff <laughs> and um, she's a fabulous in, um, Annihilation as will surprise no one, but it's like a big, just huge departure. And you can see probably why if she didn't campaign for it, she would have campaigned for it. Um, and she's just really, really great. And there's just this sense of like, she's, she's probably ready to do some other stuff and really like kind of spread her wings a bit. And I, for one, am all for that. So I'm, and so I'm really, I'm really excited about the possibility of Rodriguez doing other projects. Yeah. As I, much as I love Jane. I'm excited for that as well. Um, I hope that it happens. I think she's certainly more than talented enough to, and smart enough 
and some of her other choices um, and to immediately get go into production and having control over scripts and, and already looking to direct, I think, points towards really uh, thoughtful and purposeful choices on her part for like yeah. cementing her future. I just have seen lots and lots of people with who have like a really amazing role on a show who who get tired of the like really long days, really demanding schedules, like no personal life, no time with your family, like wanting to 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 head out to do other characters and other things and literally never getting a character anywhere near as good ever again. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, Yes, I think the show uh, could very easily end and go out on top at the end of season five. I think with some of the narrative choices they've been making, that's a good call. Uh, but I could also see this show, Grey's Anatomy style, really strong in season like 12, 15. So like, as long as everybody wants to be there, keep going. So if she's ready to be done and she wants to be done, then like, you know, I, I think it's better to end the show on a strong uh, front with everyone still very engaged. Uh, I just hope that no one is taking this show for granted um, at any level of the production because this is a really terrific show, even though if we don't talk about it every week, it's a really terrific show and most of the cast will not get a show anywhere near as good again. And yeah, that's a possibility. And it, and even if she isn't able to necessarily transition to another role, like you pointed out, the decision to start a production company and the the decision to get directing experience both speaks to larger plans that um, other, especially actor actresses, have adopted to maintain a degree of control and a degree of activity in industry where. Th- some of them are considered aged out for roles and so navigating that by putting having more power and weight on the production on the back end is a good is a good is a smart move like you said yeah so uh listeners let us know what you think about this and cw get on your renewals so yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Speaking of renewals, over at Amazon, we got some uh, information, some like a peek behind the curtain of how they make their decisions for what shows to renew and pick up and all, all that. And also how much some of these shows cost. And damn. Yeah. Yeah, damn. So um, a bunch of internal documents um, uh, Reuters got a hold of, um, uh, Amazon's internal documents uh, about Prime Video and the decisions that they made based on things that how well something did compared to how well it cost, which is really basic, but also this idea of cost per a first stream so that the price that it took to hook a customer on Prime, basically. So if this concept of a show that they signed up for Prime to watch is either too expensive or too low influenced how, how much they supported the show. So something like the grand tour, or Good Girls Revolt are like at opposite ends of the expensive thing, um, but uh, had more people come in and this sort of thing. So the production and marketing expenses by the number of people who stream that program first after signing up, the lower that number is, the better. So something like Grand Tour, which is sort of like what a spinoff of the Top Gear type stuff. 
um, did better and performs better for them than something like Good Girls Revolt, which was really expensive and not enough people sort of signed up for Prime to watch the first time. And so the metrics for this is sort of like the first real attempt that we've seen, um, the first real sort of thing that we've seen of streaming metrics, which are notoriously difficult to sort of even get any sense of since no one releases anything. So having this information has been really, really fascinating. And I haven't done as big a dive as I've wanted to on this, but it's just super, super interesting. How did you feel about uh, some of this information? The the thing I kept sticking with or, or like get stayed in my mind uh, was the budget for the new Lord of the Rings. Um, oh, God. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. Just for the licensing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of also would love to and also hope I never see the, these kinds of numbers for Netflix just for Sense8. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would be very sure. interested. Um, but also it might be depressing. And then like if those numbers got out, maybe they would never make anything like that ever again, which they probably won't. Cause yeah, I was expense. about to say. I, I think I think we're I think we're okay that they're not going to make something like that again. Sadly, <laughs> sadly. But um, but no, I, I it was interesting. It was uh, like I don't know how, like how would you, how would you count someone like myself or members of my family who already had Prime, but some of whom take advantage of the streaming and absolutely uh, love it, and some who like have to be reminded that there is streaming on prime so like how do those people count you know like they're not new subscribers but they stay subscribed because of it some of them so like i think any model of trying to keep track of and and get ratings for streaming especially something that's multi-tiered like uh like amazon prime where purchases in like of the tv shows affect like everything else that you could possibly purchase on Amazon. Like it's, it's hard to do, but I, I appreciate a stab at it and getting somewhat of a glimpse into their thought processes. Yeah. And I think in like answer to your question, the degree for those people that have had prime for a while, like me, I've had prime for maybe a decade at this point, um, is that the degree to which maybe you're spending more because of the time that you're spending within like Amazon's ecosystem, or you're thinking about Amazon more um, by watching stuff um, and how those things maybe correspond to one another is potentially maybe how they're metro, how they're sort of rating that particular type of engagement. Um, though I think that these documents were mainly focused on getting new people to come in because what's really fascinating about this is that there's not really a huge sort of difference in how Amazon thinks about television programming versus how we traditionally think about television programming. Like, the the whole point of like broadcast television was to sell you stuff in between chunks of narrative and that's basically the same thing here is that they want you to watch shows but they want you to really just buy shoes and pet cleaner and chips and that kind of a thing and that's really where they were sort of like their emphasis is so it's a weird sort of thing in which we talk about like how new streaming television is but then it's just like but they're really just wanting to sell you more things that you can buy from them and it's it's the same thing and i find that just really really fascinating that amazon is this sort of 
more traditionalist than we than we're sort of giving it credit for. Yeah. No, it's certainly it's certainly interesting. And listeners, if you're at all curious about this, go seek out those uh the, like those documents and the 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 graphs. You know, I I appreciate a visual aid and a chart slash graph. Yeah. So, um, it's certainly like when you see like the line of how expensive Good Girls Revolt is compared to the new people who subscribe just for the, like. I do not doubt that there are plenty of people who already get Prime who were stoked about Good Girls Revolt. The thing is, they don't care. And nobody new bought Amazon because of Good Girls Revolt. And so that's why it's not ever going to get more episodes. And when you see, like, the way that they do their metric, then nobody will ask that question ever again. Because it's, like, so far behind everything else, it's not even funny. Um, Yeah. Which is also sad, though. Because, you know, like, at least we have a sense of what they're picking up. But, yeah, it's sad. Because I would have liked to see another season of that show. Yeah, and I didn't get to... I haven't actually watched any of it. Yeah, so fair enough. I'm part of the problem, Kate. <laughs> no, you, but again, you don't count because you already have Amazon yeah. Prime. So it does, they don't care yeah. if you watch. Anyways, um, our, our last news here up at the top is uh, the latest uh, accusations and uh, coming forward with, with uh, people's stories for the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. One of the costume designers um, from The Grinder has come forward with allegations of harassment and uh, assault uh, hit, being hit uh, in the arm by Fred Savage on the set of The Grinder, And almost immediately there was uh, pieces, articles up and like statements from Fox um, saying that they investigated this and they found there to be no cause for the allegations. But the costume, this costume designer, member of the wardrobe department, I should say costume department, um, is bringing a, I think it's a suit, right? Against Fred Savage. Um, and 20th Century Fox, yeah. And 20th Century Fox. And guys, people don't bring a lawsuit against somebody, and or like a person doesn't bring a lawsuit against 20th Century Fox for nothing. Like, why do they think that someone's sitting around you like, you know what I'll do now? I got fired for falling asleep on my job, so I'm going to sue 20th Century Fox. Me, a person. Like... I don't know what people think is going through someone's head that such that they make the like, I'll make up a story about Fred Savage, beloved childhood star and, uh, you know, prolific voiceover in every commercial ever <laughs> star Fred Savage, who's having a bit of a later career renaissance um, over the past few years. Uh, also, uh, the the response that I saw online was all immediately relieved that 20th Century Fox said that nothing happened and very eager to discount this accusation. I also saw no one talking about the fact that there was a costume uh, member of the wardrobe department, costume department, who came forward with uh, sexual harassment claims at the end of the Wonder Years against Fred Savage and then a couple other members of the cast as well of being harassed in a similar way. And the fact that there was no one even mentioning this in this reporting around the grinder just boggled my mind because it's the first thing I was like, well, Fred Savage has been around since a long time. Are there any other, like, is this one of those, like, open secret things that, you know, people will now come, 
you know, Ford talk about? Or is this like the first allegations that have come out against Savage? And when I saw that it was a very similar accusation made against Savage, like all those years ago, I was like, hmm, this seems like this would be important context. Yeah, and I, when um we, when you popped in the grinder link, grinder allegation links, I you also included the Wonder Years link in our document, and I just went, that was like in January, right? And then I like clicked, and yeah, it was from January, and I was like you, I was surprised that I didn't see that mentioned in like context with this. So that was just really bizarre. Yeah, well, and also. There are a lot short memory that we all have right now. Incredibly short memory. And also people who've come forward to support Fred Savage. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand people supporting their friends and their coworkers and their colleagues. And I don't doubt the people that have come forward to say he's 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 a terrific guy. He's a great father. He's a great coworker. He's always been amazing and wonderful to me. It's like, yeah. I, I believe you, but that doesn't mean that he didn't harass this person when you weren't there. You don't know. Like, that's how people, like, is no one paying attention to Me Too? Like, Harvey Weinstein wasn't harassing and assaulting and, granted, completely different sphere of things. I'm just saying, as an example, he wasn't doing that when there were other people around. <laughs> that's, like, yeah. if you're going to harass someone... Usually you're not doing it, especially if you're like living on this like persona of the nicest pe- person you could ever think of. Like you're not going to be harassing people when everyone else can see. I mean, like this stuff or like with Seacrest. Again, it was someone who had a reason to be alone with him a lot saying that he did this stuff when other people weren't there. So like I don't doubt people who are who have said come forward to support savage either during one the end of wonder years or, or with with around grinder i don't doubt that he was great to you but that doesn't mean that he wasn't terrible to this other person yeah no absolutely absolutely anyways uh we wanted to mention that um there were some other me too allegations that i saw um but they were more peripherally tv so um i will will leave it there i suppose um but i'm glad that there is you know like there was not in my opinion not nearly enough discussion of this one this week it really came and went very quickly um in in our popular culture and maybe it's because everyone's attention is on stormy daniels right now but like yeah probably (laughs) you know it would be nice and i'm glad that more people are feeling empowered to come forward and again i keep like i'm listening if you're out there, people, I will listen to you. So, uh, yeah, hopefully Me Too is not just like becoming a passe thing. We'll see. We'll see what happens moving forward. Um, at the, This week at the end of the show, we are talking about we're diving in deep with Adventure Time, which came back for four more episodes. We don't know when the, these are the, the penultimate four episodes. We don't know when the final four episodes are going to air quite yet. So we wanted to really, you know, dive in with these. And we knew it would take too long if we didn't uh, make it its own segment. So that's coming at the end of the show. That was super fun. It was super fun. And oh, I'm, I'm not prepared, Kate. I'm not prepared. Yeah, neither am I. Not prepared. Um, But I am prepared to talk about the rest of the week's TV. So let's listen to a little music and we'll come back with our week in reality and comedy. Somewhere 
very far apart we are. It helps to think we might be wishing on the same bright star. And when the night wind starts to sing a lonesome lullaby, it helps to think we're sleeping underneath the same big sky. That was somewhere out there, as performed by the cast of Fresh Off the Boat in their season finale here、uh, this week in reality and comedy. We're going to kick things off with the premiere of RuPaul's Drag Race season ten, tens across the board. Then we'll move over to comedies and talk about Fresh Off the Boat's season finale, King in the North. Then we have Speechless, which had its finale and O nominee, and then we'll run. Things out with、um, Atlanta Helen. So、uh, first up is the Drag Race premiere. Now, did did tens across the board? Did this like cleanse the palate of any bad taste left from the end of All Stars three? Ah,、uh, it it actually sort of did. Like I, I'm I'm actually really engaged by a lot of the queens. Um, even though th- I really feel like there are way too many New York queens. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting group. I think just based on this first episode. So I'm actually sort of excited to keep watching. Uh, despite my concerns and our discussion about my drag race. Potential fatigue.、Um, so I'm pretty excited to keep watching.、Um, how did you feel about this premiere? I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was very good. I thought like the the queens seem like really really strong. Yeah. Again, tens across the board feels earned. Like I felt bad for the first queen who was eliminated. I thought she brought it in the lip sync, and I was like sad to see her go. But I mean that's how this competition works.、So、I was like. There are a few other like seasons here where I feel like the lowest of these queens would be amongst the top of some of the other seasons.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm ready for some fresh faces after All Stars, but I was super impressed, and I I also really appreciated the longer runtime. Um, allowing us to have the mini challenge that we got at the beginning, I thought that was a great way to introduce these queens and to have, uh, like bring they brought back because it's the tenth season. They brought back a bunch of the previous, uh, queens, to, and then they the new queens had to like walk. <laughs> It's like a walk off, um, in front of these other you know seasoned. Uh, queens, at least for Drag Race season,、uh, the new queens are not like they're new to drag or anything. But so, so it immediately put a contrast between those who have been through this process and are, you know, theoretically much more confident in it, and those who are new and who could stand up with them, and who seemed like they were a little scared. Like Eureka didn't rise to the challenge the way that we might have anticipated. Yeah, but and well, I mean, there's plenty of time for Eureka to sort of like. Come back and like start working through um the sh- through the challenges. So I'm I'm not like super worried about um anyone really yet. Um yeah, and I was just really pleased that like especially after my kind of griping about all stars is just like oh they have to make shit yes yeah and、so、right away a, first thing first thing is just like you guys have to make stuff and I'm just went yes I'm very excited to watch people make things. And so that was like one of the things that I think really helped me、um, sort of transition to、um, from All Stars to、uh, season ten of Drag Race was the fact that it was just something really different、um, from what we had seen in、uh, All Stars, and it was very driven by like how can you design something? How, what's your creativity? And how are we going to like judge all of this stuff? Because Michelle was just on fire this week with like critiques. 
And so I really enjoyed basically an episode from top to bottom. And it was really, really great. Um, the only th- and the other thing I'll mention is that I was really glad that um, my DVR just like or how it was programmed was they just attacked tacked on untucked um, into the recording uh, for the episodes runtime. So I got like untucked with the episode. So I was really pleased that I didn't have to like go seek it out again. So I got to watch all of it. And I was very, yeah. very excited about that. I also was loving the, like, watching the queens react to Aquaria and Ms. Cracker doing the same face was hilarious. Yes. <laughs> I look forward to that, like, as a thread. Like, I don't need to see the two of them fighting about that or whatever, mm-hmm. but I love watching all the other queens, like, uh, you know, like, observe, I should say. And so we'll see what happens with that. I really like the new workroom. It looks, you know, like, I think it's in such an interesting shift to go like all glam diva trophy instead of the like the rate like ruin the race gear you know mm-hmm. it's very distinct it's like no we've won awards now <laughs> you know we're fancy um so hopefully they're not you know like i with, especially with this batch of queens the choice like choosing these queens for this season i think that's them making a statement where they're not gonna like all of a sudden ditch the camp but um i thought that was interesting and uh i thought the the reveal of christina with the pheromone hair and everything was super fun it was (laughs) very very amusing i cackled yeah it i'm looking i'm looking forward to this season and it was a really strong start like they needed a strong start so i I feel like when rue looked at how all stars 3 was ending and knew that they had this in the can and it was really good i think i've I think that explains and makes sense why we got this sort of kind of rushed ending here before we moved right on to season 10. Um, I want to give a shout out to or mention of uh, the All Right Mary RuPaul's Drag Race uh, review or reaction or whatever fan podcast because they had uh, it's been super fun. I've been listening to it, but because they had a uh, interview with Trixie Mattel um, this past week talking about her most recent album and the all-stars three win but it was really interesting so if you guys have want more thoughts on that go check out the all right mary podcast and yeah any other thoughts or should we move on to the comedies uh no let's go ahead and move on to the comedies um particularly abc's um two comedies fresh off the boat and speechless both of which had their season finales that both felt like series finales uh yeah (laughs) They Which, must know something we don't know. Like I, like if if one season finale felt series finale ish, then yeah. it would be less of like a you know raised cocked eyebrow. But like both of these, first of all, the finale is ending like coming sooner than we anticipated. Like it's an episode right. nineteen and an episode eighteen. I didn't expect them to not get like full season orders, but then yeah. to have them both feel so distinctly like. Look at us, full circle. Why here we are, like all like I'm fresh off the boat, and they're all standing outside, and you can see how just even just looking at the kids, how much bigger and taller the the guys are, you know, like it really had a strong sense of series finale. So I'm guessing ABC let the word go out to its comedies to like just in case we're cutting some of y'all. We don't know which ones yet, so be prepared. Yeah, and I think that that speaks just to generally ABC potentially wanting to clear how clean house a little bit from top 
um, top down. Um, because, like, there's serious rumblings that S.H.I.E.L.D.'s probably wrapping up this season as well. Um, so I think that that's just sort of a general sort of house cleaning because, like, the middle's over after this season as well. And ABC's uh, got a number of new comedies rolling out with Roseanne and Alex Inc. and Splitting Up Together all coming out uh, next week. Um, so there's a lot, like, in their development slate that they probably feel really confident that can replace these shows. But both of the, the new shows that I mentioned, Alex Inc and splitting up together, I've already watched the pilot and stuff and they're a distinct sort of departure from the kind of comedies that we're used to from ABC having done for basically the past 10 years and that they feel very perspective driven. And you and I have talked about how they have, always sort of recently in their comedy development really valued diversity and discussion of different points of view and perspectives on things. Blackish being a really good example of this, but Speechless and Fresh Off the Boat also doing it in their own particular ways. And the other two shows definitely do not have that. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to see if this is a larger pivot that they're doing in what they want their comedies to be. And we have sort of gotten off track because both of these episodes were pretty good, um, yeah. I thought. Um, so how did you feel about uh, the Fresh Off the Boat finale um, overall? I thought it was fun. I liked, uh, you know, like ha- splitting off the the groups, like having um, Eddie, you know, with his friends and then uh, Emery and Evan doing their thing. And then the, you know, like it, it was a bit fractured for a series finale, having Jessica be off doing Stephen King thing. But other than that, I liked, you know, I liked mostly most of what we got. And uh, I thought that, you know, like, the, like they, it seemed in line with the series finale thing, like they are like, let's get another musical number of, of, of the guys singing. Let's get like, so, just like a nice little strong button on where Eddie's at now versus at the beginning of the season. Like I thought the stuff around the prom was terrific and really fun. It very much matched in with some of the discussions about identity and place that like this show has always explored um and like who's an outsider and who's not and what are you willing to do to stand up for and be with your friend your family or your friends versus conforming to this idea of what you know when they moved there what florida was or what the suburbs were what white america is um so i thought it worked you know it was a fun episode um not necessarily the monks the show's best but i thought it was a strong finale and you know I would have liked to have the whole family together more, yes. But I think finishing the getting, feeling like we have a strong sense of of Jessica's arc with her book and like where kind of where she's at, as well as each of the kids, where like where where everybody is. I thought I thought it came together in a nice way, and um, yeah, if that's the end, I'm gonna miss the show. But I think they they did a good job. Right, no, I absolutely agree. Like the way that each of the char- each of the characters really are off sort of doing their own little thing um speaks to like those kind of core central either relationships or what these characters are driven by. And so I really liked that that was what drove a lot of this um in throughout this finale. So I really enjoyed it despite even maybe feeling it was a little like you said, a little fractured and um, disparate, but it still all spoke to like the bonds of everyone. So Jessica and Honey going off on a, a, a unknowing road trip together and Honey Spark. <laughs> um, and then uh, Lewis uh, reclaiming Cattlesman, um, Evan and Emery 
um, sort of reaffirming their relationship um, between one another. And then, like you said, Eddie with his friends and Nicole and Allison and just all of that, I think, sort of summed up a lot of things for this. And then I'd be remiss not to mention um, the really wonderful um, little in-joke that they provide um, with um, Coronation Street when Lewis is trying to convince um, Jenny to not go into the retirement home. They show a clip of Coronation Street as evidence that he has gotten those British sitcom, British soap operas that Jenny likes to watch. And it is, in fact, a clip of Lucille Soong, who plays Jenny, on Coronation Street. She had like a five episode stint on Coronation Street back in the 60s, 50s or 60s. And I just loved that. And then they do another clip later on um, at the end of the episode. And it's just like, it made me very happy that they sort of included that little bit of an Easter egg um, in the show, especially if this is like it. Um, I was just like, this is a very nice sort of acknowledgement of how long of a career um, Soong has had acting. So I really, really liked that. Yeah, no, it would, I didn't realize that that was her, but that's that's awesome. I like it even more now. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, what about Speechless in their finale nominee? Yeah, Speechless sort of did the exact same thing. I feel like that Fresh Off the Boat did in terms of reaffirming certain relationships or reaffirming certain core values of the show. Um, so even like Speechless in having a callback to the season one premiere about how JJ's going to get into the building and through a garbage, um, like track sort of thing. And it's just, it was really good. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of the humor in it. Um, and I liked this sort of Ray rediscovering himself, um, through this entire process of being the guy who instigates, um, offensive fouls, um, for the basketball team because he just knows how to, like, fall down constantly. Um, so, but all of this I thought was just really good and them ending up evicted from their house, sleeping outside and, JJ achieving something that had been really running throughout this entire season about filmmaking and that kind of thing. I just all really worked really, really well for me and their discussions about disability and tokenism. It's just, it was a really strong sort of um, summation of what the show is, I think, kind of set out to do. So I really, really enjoyed the finale. Um, How did you feel about it? I thought it was terrific. I really liked this episode. I thought it was a much stronger episode than the one we got from Fresh Off the Boat, as much as I did enjoy that. Um, I like the the way they, they paired everybody off, I thought worked. It was a nice change of pace to, to have, you know, Ray get the <laughs> Kenneth the storyline for the episode. And the fact that he actually has a place on the basketball team just because of his lack of sense of self-preservation, <laughs> I thought it was a nice little twist. And also acknowledgement of how, how much he's grown. Like just physically the actor has gotten a lot taller. Yeah. Um, as well. Um, yeah, this was, this was nice. And, and having the episode not end with them like happening into alone so they could buy the house. Like they like, no, they're out <laughs> outside at the end. But hey, JJ got uh won an award and got nominated for his film work outside of the context of as a person with cerebral palsy, you know, I thought was was terrific and enough of a win, but like but hedged with enough life fails um that it all, you know, felt very much of a piece with the mission statement of the show. I really enjoyed like I thought everybody was on their A game uh, in the in the cast. I really enjoyed the the fabulous gown that Minnie Driver was wearing and then rewearing. Oh, so good. <laughs> 
<laughs> and just having, I mean, like I, I just the way that they that they dovetailed the end of the season. It really felt like they were like, oh, we might be canceled. Ah, okay, well. Last three episodes, like it felt like a flip. They've switched a flip about two, three episodes ago with um, direct having JJ direct his short and then the architecture thing, which leads to the getting kicked out of the house thing. Like it's been another one of those strong after like a little bit of the lull earlier. It's been another strong run of episodes for them. Uh, I thought that, yeah, I thought it was really fun and I thought it was a really um, a really touching episode to, to end the season on. And if the sh- I really hope it doesn't get canceled, but if the show does get canceled, um, they'll, again, they'll go out really strongly and like, you know, just with a terrific episode, the, the title card in memory of Gregory Silveri, who's of course uh-huh. the brother of the creator who passed, he, he was inspired to make the show somewhat by his relationship with his brother who had cerebral palsy, a much um, more debilitating case of it than JJ does. He, you know, he wasn't able to do everything that uh, physically that JJ is able to do on the show, but um, he, he passed away this uh, earlier this year. I thought it was absolutely lovely to have a, a little, memory like like a tribute card to him title card to him at the end of the show um there's it's a you know it's just such a terrific show i really hope it's only had two seasons like fresh off the boat if it gets canceled i will miss it but it's had four seasons yeah this only had two no i absolutely agree like i was thinking about like in a trade-off sort of situation i i don't know which one i'd want more of um i I don't want to i don't make me choose between my children kate (laughs) um but I mean, everything you said was correct, and the tribute card was really, really touching, and I was really glad that it was... I was really glad that they had the opportunity to do that. So, um, my fingers are crossed that neither of these get cancelled, and hopefully the other ones maybe crash and burn. Um, Don't cancel (laughs) these for Roseanne. Dear God. (laughs) They can't cancel either of these so that we get more Roseanne. Come on. Oh, I can't wait to get your feelings on the first two episodes of Roseanne. Um, More on that when they premiere. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So anyway, um, why don't you talk to me about Helen, um, uh, which was Alana's uh, fourth episode um, of the season so far. Uh, They went up to Helen, Georgia, which is um, basically exactly as it's depicted here is Helen is where it's located in northern Georgia. And it's where the big one of the big October festivals in the country actually takes place. And the entire, most of the town is sort of done up in that Bavarian sort of style. I've never been to Helen. Um, I was trying to think if I had, and I haven't, mainly because Oktoberfest doesn't really interest me. But it is sort of a big kind of touristy sort of thing. So what did you think about Helen and the very obvious sort of um, get out vibes that they were really hitting pretty hard in this episode? They were super effective. Yeah, wasn't it though? Super creepy. Very, very creepy at various points in this, this episode. Like that, whatever that mask was while they were playing ping pong, like. So, so scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I thought that this was like particularly, like Atlanta has been really strong all season, but I thought this was a particularly cinematic and, um, well shot and put together episode. And maybe it's just because they go, like they head out to a separate location. So we're away from the standard trappings of the show. So it like gives them even more opportunity to, to 
to like for a change of pace and a change in like the light and in uh the settings and and all these other things we get very focused uh a very focused episode just on Ern and Vanessa because of course they're you know off on location or just like away from Atlanta um so that focus I thought was really terrific and you know it, I was sad a little bit watching this because Ern and Vanessa, like, I guess I don't feel like we're supposed to think Ern screwed up. I think it's just the show and Vanessa coming to terms with the fact that even though they can be good together, it doesn't mean that they usually aren't. And it doesn't mean that they should be just because it is possible for them to be a cohesive and functional unit. Um, and that that was a little bit of a sad realization for me as a viewer. Um, and I, I, I just, I, I haven't wanted Earn to do something more than really try at ping pong for like quite a while. Like I thought that I needed him to give that money to Van when he, like that 4K that he stupidly turned into gift cards, but I really needed him to actually give a crap about winning that game of ping pong. And when he didn't, it just, it was sad, but it was also necessary, I think. So I, I was fully invested in the characters here. I was super uh, on board for their adventure and creepy get out land. And uh, I was also on board for the subtitled German discussion. So I, I really liked this episode. Yeah, I really liked it too. And I was really glad like this weekend, um, last week had uh, Van like return to the show because you and I had discussed how much we were like really missing her. And so having two episodes and having two episodes that very much felt informed and a of a pair of one another um since a lot of what um van discusses in relation to going to oktoberfest is relation related to do you really think i like going to strip clubs (laughs) (laughs) and i don't need to see i don't need to go outside to see titties earn is like just really delightful and i think that there's just a whole sort of discussion about like how you navigate this sort of uh intertwining lives as um one of the uh, characters says and i think there's just that resistance on Ern's part to do that and you you just watch van realizing this over the course of the episode that it's just it's really it's really moving and it's really sad but it's also sort of it's it's really good as well to see her sort of like break away from this and leave Ern in this sort of state of like all right now he's literally just has alfred um to rely on to like sort of get by or um, so i'm really curious to see how the sh- this season in particular's sort of emphasis on a downward-esque spiral of the robin season uh continues to play out for Ern um as things progress yeah it's it's hard to follow and root for for Ern, but that's what makes him so compelling. And it, it's mm-hmm. I think it's telling for me that like despite me wanting him to make different decisions and wanting him to like wanting better and more things for him, I also respect most of what he's doing. Like I understand why he is like who I I feel like I have a sense of who that character is and why he's making the choices that he is. And I think that that a lot of shows don't thread that needle particularly well. Like, yeah. like you, 
like the characters make choices that are capital W wrong. Like, and, and we're watching them be self-destructive or that we're watching them be foolish or whatever. And, and that's not what I'm seeing here. It, it's them. It, the, the show committing to him and where he's at right now and his path. And, and I, they respect that they don't always respect his choices and they have a good sense of humor about them enough that it's very appropriate but um it's a show that very much respects its characters and why they are where they are and whether they're ready for the next thing or not so yeah what do you think no and i think you're absolutely correct in that the show respects its characters like all of them and i think that that's really significant and really mature of the show to be confident enough to do that four episodes into a second season and so it speaks to where the show is creatively that they're able to do that so i think you're absolutely correct yeah any final thoughts on atlanta um i never ever want to go to helen (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah no i'm i never want to go to helen i think i'm good (laughs) i i want to know the rules of that game Oh, God, I don't even I I have so many questions about that game. <laughs> like, I, I need to know what that game was. And like, he just threw the things in the middle. Like, because I don't think that they were making fun of him. But I think we aren't supposed to be sure. Like, and he's yeah. definitely not sure. And I think they again, they threaded that needle really, really well. <laughs> like, I didn't like. Apparently, that's something that you can do, but people would never think to do it because of reasons that he doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I thought that that yeah that was I. And listeners, if you know what that game was, please enlighten me. Reach out. Um. What wins your week in reality and comedy? Um. Well, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine came back this week with a really terrific episode. Um. In which um there was a lot of Nick Cage discussion. So I really enjoyed um Safe House, but I think I'll give it to the Speechless finale. Um. Just for sort of a season achievement sort of thing or ugh, series achievement. Ugh. Um. <laughs> but yeah, the Speechless finale. I think. What about you? Can I just give it to Marlon Bundo? I think you can give it to Marlon Bundo. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. And it'll it'll piss off Mike Pence because you know Mike Pence listens to this podcast. That's always like if I can like have that as a strong number two reason for most of what I do, that would make me happy. No, I'm going to give it to. uh, Yeah, I'll give it to the speechless finale. Like I. If I'm honest, I think I like Atlanta liked Atlanta better, but mm-hmm. it this might be the series finale of Speechless. I know there are more episodes of Atlanta coming, so yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna give some love over there to Speechless. Now we will take a break. Listen to uh a, one of the so- a song featured this week on uh, Rundown of Robin Thede called "Money" by Lakaley Forty Seven, um, which was a really fun segment there. Uh. And we'll we'll check in with Rundown when we have some more time another week. But um, anyway, so we'll listen to that song and then come back with our week in genre and drama. Oh, chilling, laying in the cut, though. Easy, trying to see what up, though. Brooklyn. Man, home of the cut, though. Notorious, y'all know how the rest go. Sleep. Huh, one eye open. Too smart, because I'm always scoping. Watch it. <laughs> see how these lames look lazy. That's how you get your fright to money. money. Said I'm a rock star, mixed with a ghetto chick. Try me, I 
Contemporary gang, my contemporaries, I'm too legendary. It's, it's so funny. funny. I got money. Come on, what you need? Come on, what you got? Say money. Funny. I got money. Speak that thing into existence. You funny. I got money. Let me hear you. This week in a drama and genre, we're going to talk a little bit about The Good Fights, day uh, 422. Then we'll move over to the X-Files finale, My Struggle 4, which, Noel, you didn't need to watch this. But thank you. I guess we can have two of us have thoughts on some of their choices here, capital C choices. Before we move over to Legends of Tomorrow, Necromancing the Stone, Black Lightning, Little Black Lies... And uh, iZombie, Brainless in Seattle, we'll talk about last weekend. It was a two-parter, so we'll talk about those um, this week. First up is The Good Fight, Day 422. And we have a ricin scare. We have um, Marissa uh, having a new boo. We have uh, Diane microdosing to a really not good idea, like, level. Which is, like... There's microdosing, which I have no experience with, but, like, I understand it's a thing. But then, like, if you're not sure if you're hallucinating the news, you're not... I don't think we can call it microdosing anymore. I'm not sure. What did you think of this episode? Well, I think if you're not sure if you're hallucinating the news right now, I think that is more like what the episode wants to do is a commentary about the news at this point. (laughs) Um, because it's just like, I I wouldn't really have an issue believing that there was a pig in the White House at this point. I just, I really wouldn't. It wouldn't, I would not bat an eye. Um, as many a late night talk show host has sort of explained for the past, like, especially this week of like, there's literally so many different things to keep track of that a pig would be the lowest thing on that totem pole right now. Um, so, but no, I, I liked this episode overall. Um, I liked the, I liked sort of the resolution for the rice and scare. I thought was sort of interesting, if just not outright horrible. Um, I liked the, um, kind of narrative justification they give for, uh, Maya not having anything to do because everyone expects her to go to jail, um, <laughs> at some point. So I sort of liked how they, poke a little bit of fun at that um but i think my big thing with this um given uh diane's microdosing and was that the show just is really leaning into a lot of the weirdness of um that they had during brain that uh the kings had during brain dead um in a more measured sense but i think that there's more elements of that and i think the show's really sort of flexing a lot of different sort of creativity and so i really liked day 422 um and uh rob reiner's random cameo and yeah so it was fun um and i thought the case was really good this is sort of a bachelor in paradise uh scandal that we've all completely forgotten about already and so i really liked how that kind of came to the surface here and how marissa's um ability to navigate that really really helped um so yeah i i liked it um pretty well how did you feel yeah, I thought it was it was a strong episode. I had fun with it certainly, and uh, I would have liked more Luca. There was like no Luca, but um, then I I think the I think it was a well balanced episode. So if they we had had more Luca, they would have yeah. had to have less of something else. I'm very leery about this Diane stuff. Um, we'll see where it goes. The notion of don't give a fuck, Diane, is very interesting. The notion of hi and don't give a fuck 
is that's different for me. So like uh-huh. I I don't necessarily trust the kings to do this storyline well. Um Yes. Yeah. And that's fair. <laughs> mm, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um but I, I did like everything with Marissa and with Maya. I liked uh the uh the the stuff that we got behind the scenes with um the the reality show. I liked the conversation like Marissa standing for reality TV and respecting people who appreciate reality TV and like what it does and that that is just a different form of entertainment that's not lower than other forms, it's just different. Um and yeah, I, I I would have liked a stronger like this like the I, I feel like they soft pedaled the ending of that where literally a producer walked an unconscious person over and put a drunk out of his mind person on top of her so that she would get raped. Like I think they really are want us to not think about that too much so that we wouldn't think about the fact that this was a super criminal thing that is not gonna get prosecuted. Um, that was a little disturbing to me, but, uh, it also felt, felt pretty honest as far as that, the, that's what the lawyers are there to do is to get as much money as possible, not to get any actual like criminal justice for their, uh, for, for their client. Um, I mean, like if, if I was their client and they had this video and they didn't show it to me. And asked me if that changed how I wanted to proceed, I would be really, really upset. But um yeah. I, I liked I liked the if it, it did feel more authentic and more like realistic than like being, well, now criminal charges and like and then having their day in court, which and having that go like in the righteous manner, which is not how these things go a lot of the time. Uh I don't know, I but I did like this episode, and I'm looking forward to what's coming down the pike. Yeah, I am too. So yeah, I, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about the show so far this season. Um, I do agree that they're going to have to thread that needle of give no fucks Diane and microdosing Diane um, some some like some lead time there mm-hmm. um, to see how that kind of plays out. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's going to be a really delicate balancing act that they do for that. Yeah um delicate balancing act takes us over to the x-files finale my struggle for uh which this is just this is bad but it's not the worst of these my struggle episodes which is just mostly talking about says how how bad some of those previous episodes were uh jillian anderson has been subtweeting the finale and like i love it (laughs) so like ending the show ending the season on and she said she's not coming back for another season so she's done uh maybe they'll back a brinks truck up but like this show hasn't gotten the ratings to warrant that from fox so we'll see what happens but i would anticipate this is the final ever episode of the x-files and to, to take like to make the 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 big like culminating moment of of Mulder and scully in these last these two revival seasons be like guess what she's pregnant with Mulder's kid like who Chris Carter, how? I was going to say who, but the answer is Chris Carter. Chris Carter, why would you think that that is the appropriate happy ending for these two characters? Like, they they never wanted kids in the first place. And then they she got abducted and ended up with a kid that she then had to give away. But that's complicated at best emotions. 
And both of them had the opportunity to go have families and that life if they wanted that. And they didn't choose that. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to think that I'm pregnant. Like you, we do have a baby is like some amazing, happy ending, exciting, like cliffhanger. Like, wow. What show were you watching? Chris Carter. He's just so obsessed with the idea of parenthood and fatherhood in particular that he just couldn't let it go. He was just like, no, we did a bait and switch with her first pregnancy, but don't worry. We want these two kids to have this really happy sort of moment. Um, But also the guy that they thought there was their son is still alive. But don't worry. We can still st- stop the alien apocalypse, maybe. And it's just like, oh, boy, Chris, just just stop. And yeah, I, 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 uh, wait for it, Kate. I really struggled <laughs> with this episode. Um, but a ching. Um, with, um, how Mulder became an action hero all of a sudden of really smooth shots. Um, and then, uh, one, two, three, four exploding heads. Um, and it's just like this, I don't understand what the mythology of the tone of the mythology is really at this point and i don't care was the other problem but so this this was just like a bunch of nonsense for me and um yeah i basically regretted watching this almost immediately (laughs) (laughs) um there and yeah like you i just felt like the ending was just really sort of forced and kind of ridiculous um and and my larger question is like whose house does whose house do they move into i really hope it's scully's because it's much nicer than for some reason yeah 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 the this just like there were there have been some really terrific episodes and this uh like these last two revival seasons um mostly did there have been a couple darren morgan episodes and there have been one or two other ones that were fun um but i think we're all done with revival x files now so like Let's just uh, wrap it up. Wrap it up, Carter. Any other thoughts on X-Files? No, please. Let's talk about Necromancing the Stone and how much I just love that title. It's a terrific <laughs> title. And having, like, like they're, we're headed right into the last few episodes. We had Mick become yep. the, the bearer of the fire totem much quicker than I anticipated. Um, but I yeah. didn't anticipate us going, like, immediate switch to Sarah as the bearer of the death totem. And are we to infer that the Earth totem just won't work for Nate? Yeah, maybe. Maybe because of, like, his superpowers or whatever, it just doesn't work for him. I don't know. I thought that was weird. I thought, like, I didn't understand what we were supposed to in- in- intuit was happening in that scene. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I, hmm, it's, it's unusual. Uh, I thought this was super duper fun. Obviously, evil Sarah. It's like, like, <laughs> the conversation from a few episodes back. We're like, no, if I, like, if Malls takes me over again, you guys are going to need help. Uh, I like that they, that they couldn't have Wally, like, insty solve it. Um, but they also didn't completely nerf him either. So there's yeah. still enough wiggle room there, which I think is important. Constantine was back and it was spectacular. Um, yeah. I, I also didn't, I'm not excited about adding another twist to the Sarah and Ava stuff because we already have the, the like dangling thread of whatever this secret is about her. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't need a, I can't be happy um, cliffhanger that we got here um, so that they can get them back together and just to have like the reveal of whatever this thing is about Ava. Like, it's a bit too much. I, I really enjoyed watching them just kind of adorable and coupley. 
And yeah. uh, I'm not excited about all these extra, you know, like bending yeah. over backwards to add drama. Yeah, no, I agree that they're sort of bending over backwards to add drama, even if it sort of feels kind of part and parcel of who Sarah is. It's also just like, you've grown a whole lot, Sarah. The fact that you sort of like have this found family that really supports you and just this entire thing, like you have a whole support system now that really believes in you and wants this for you. And like gentle needling aside about calling Ava Mrs. Captain, it's just like there's the really good stuff here that is shows how much you've grown and how much this family that you've developed around you has grown. And it's, it's just, it's really, really good and really reassuring. And the fact that she sort of backs away from that, um, does feel a little manufactured. Um, so yeah, that's, that was disappointing, but the the overall episode's just a great deal of fun. Um, like you said, and like that foreshadowing bit about how if Sarah ever goes bad, there's basically no way to stop her because all of you have been trained by the League of Assassins. Um, yeah. is just really, really good. And I'm glad that you mentioned Constantine coming back because news that's uh, circulated um, earlier this week is that they've signed him as a series regular should the show come back in season four. Yeah, which the show needs to come back yeah. so that he can be a series regular season four. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, so like you're excited about harpsichord cues. I'm excited about playing a drinking game in which we just do quick cutaways from him lighting a cigarette and smoking a cigarette and us getting just super hammered. Uh, well, and, and the lighting the cigarette off of Mick's hand, too. Oh, like So good. They can keep doing that all next season. Very excited yeah. about it. Um, any other thoughts on this episode? Uh, no, I'm, no, no, it's just, it's really fun, and, like, despite the fact that I sort of don't care about, like, the big bads and everything, and, like, Mollus and all this sort of stuff, the show's just so fun at this point that I don't care that I don't care about it. I'm just here for, yeah. like, the fun of this cast of characters being really ridiculous, and the show also leaning into being ridiculous with like episode titles and just everything that's coming down the pipeline. I'm very excited. Yeah, no, it was, it was really fun. And like you said, it, when it's just fun, we don't really care about all the things that are a bit iffy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, next up is black lightning, little black lies. And we get um, Anissa pulling herself and her dad out of the superhero closet to Jennifer. Um, and a very different reaction to from Jennifer to her abilities than we got for Anissa. I thought this was a, a fun episode, um, a strong episode, not quite as impactful as some of the previous ones, but I like, you know, I I, I greatly prefer the spandex fake costume suit for Thunder, but I think the one that we get from her, for her here, is pretty good. And I did like what most of what we got with Gamby. Like, I felt like this was overdue needed work on him that he's st- like, it's, it's still not a great character, but at least much more solid than what we had before. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. And I think that the sort of, this episode sort of epitomizes like a lot of what the strongest aspect of this show is, is the whole family dynamics of the Pierces is what drives the show in really strong ways. Because I mean, what's really noticeable about this is that Tobias isn't here. Lala isn't here. And it's really very driven by the Pierces navigating what all these new secrets are that they've uncovered. And so I really like that. And it speaks like sort of what I was talking about when the show first premiered is that the strongest aspect of the show is that it 
focuses on Jefferson not as a superhero, but as a principal and as a father and all of that coming through here and how those things are sort of like combining and getting mixed together, I think is really good and really interesting and how this family deals with the weight of all this from the divorce, from the whole idea of it becoming sort of a family business is all really, really good. And so I think that this is probably one of their stronger episodes that they've had um, this season. And it's just, it's so smart as they're sort of heading into the tail end of their first season. And I'm, I'm really happy with this. And I, I am with you in that. I like Anissa's uh, spandex costume much more than her power suit costume. Even if I do think her power suit costume is very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just weren't going to do better than, than like that, the bright neon and everything, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, the other thing I have to mention about this episode is the scoring was just, it was just bad. Like I kept like when I was watching, this was like, wait, did like, a speaker turn on like did my radio turn on by accident and that's like other random bad music kept like because normally it's better than this it was really distracting for me did you notice it at all or is it just me um i don't think i picked up on anything in particular but i was also sort of watching this while i was working so the scoring may not have like seeped into my brain as much um so but i'll trust your musical judgment in this case yeah, it just was really heavy-handed. It was omnipresent in a way that the show doesn't usually do in its dialogue scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't pick up on a reason that that should be the case, like a thematic reason or a character reason or like, yeah. So it was really distracting for me. Uh, so I wanted to mention that. Uh, but let's move over to I Zombie, which is our last show of the week. Uh, before we get to Adventure Time, of course, and that is Brainless in Seattle, which is their two-part. Uh, episode with live on uh rom-com brain basically uh because the music cues in these two episodes have been spectacular yes uh like last week we had a makeover montage for robbie set to cover girl which by rupaul which was terrific and we also had well there was another one last week that oh um space jam <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah. week we had uh truly madly deeply by savage garden we had kiss me by sixpence on the richer so like it was very like so you watched dawson's creek in the night in like the aughts <laughs> 90s knots like here you go <laughs> so uh I, yeah it was so very very 90s um in a way that the show doesn't usually do quite this extent, mm-hmm. uh that I, I thought i thought it was a little i thought it was interesting but i this was super fun and I I know that you love iZombie way more than I do. You connect with it more. Um, so I'm 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 looking forward to your thoughts. For me, this is one of the like it was so over the top. It was really obnoxious. <laughs> Liv's brain was really obnoxious, but that was kind of the point. And um, I thought that that the execution of that brain uh, was some of the best stuff we've gotten in a while. So I, I had a lot of fun with these. Yeah, and I think both episodes are really fun while sort of advancing, like, larger plot things forward, including, like, Babineau's relationship and that shift to it being open because of zombie-slash-human sort of needs, and then sort of maybe kind of trying to figure out a state of being for Major and Liv, um, which basically is worth it entirely for Major getting dosed on pro-wrestler brain, and just, (laughs) god, Robert Buckley is a treasure, Kate. He is a treasure. Um, It wasn't as good as, like, petulant teen brain, but it was very good. Um, 
And so I really enjoyed that. But I I really enjoy when they let Robert Buckley just cut loose like that. Um, And so I, I, I liked a lot of the stuff. I do want to get your feed, especially as someone who isn't as big of a fan of the show as I am, because this is something I'm seeing like a couple of folks in my Twitter feed um, sort of struggling with, particularly this season um, so far is the fact that the brains are basically just taking everyone over in a lot of ways and that they don't really have a great deal of ability to keep them their, their influence in check. And this really comes through really heavily in these two episodes between like the major getting dosed by pro wrestler brain is an amusing sort of like gag, but it's also like it takes over his entire sort of mannerisms. Um, live on the teen uh the teen romance brain and then blaine on loose lips i share everything with everyone brain which is very funny again but it's like there's no degree of like control or anything and one of the so i wanted to get your feet on that because me i'm sort of like a little frustrated with it because normally when that sort of thing kind of happened it was because Liv was trying to escape from something or and the the emotional aspect of the brains on how Liv treats them and approaches them has sort of faded away from the show in favor of going through procedural elements or playing up for laughs and I as, as enjoyable as that can be it's also sort of like I remember when the brains were like discussions about how Liv was feeling about things and that really faded away last season to a certain degree but it's really just at this point very much gone this season so I was curious how you were feeling about if you had even like sort of picked up on that no yes this is where the iZombie fans don't like me that's always been how the show does it like I disagree that it's always been how the show's done it but this has been a problem that I have had with the show and with specifically with most of the zombie performances, but not all like, but it's more, it's, it's a performance problem for me, but more than that, it is a writing problem for me and a writing crutch problem for me for the run of the show, for most of the run of the show. Um, And there have been times when I thought that they were playing with more interesting nuances to that, like the way that you describe. But for me, for most of the show's run, I haven't seen that nuance. I've seen like wanting that nuance to be there or like being able to interpret that nuance. Like, you know, I love to do yeah. <laughs> with the shows I like. Like, like I, I, there are plenty of shows where I give the writers lots of credit that maybe they don't deserve. <laughs> um, so if I was a bigger fan of this show in general, if, like if this show clicked and worked for me on the level that I know it does for most of the iZombie fans out there, which means, and like, that's most of my Twitter feed. Lots of people whose opinions I really respect, like yourself. I would be willing to like give them a lot more credit, but like for like this, this like I, I'm sure I could. If I really was on board with this show, I would be seeing more connections and more nuance in what they're doing right now. But I am not, and I I haven't seen it that that level of care with the character in a long time. And so that's sort of like a big part of my what well, a big part of my problem with this show has always been where I just like I never have felt like there was a strong sense of who Liv is like ever in the show's run. Mm-hmm. So I it's hard for me to point to she's being t- taken over by the brains more now because I don't think I know Liv. Yeah. I just know 
what major how I know how major sees live like what he's like how I know how major experiences or wants live to be but I don't actually know live and I know I know how Babino how he would describe live and what like and and, Raj, and, and like I like I I know how everybody around live interacts with and like would describe her and sees her mm-hmm. but I don't actually feel like I know her Sure, sure, um, sure. And I and I think each character has their own lens, obviously, of how they see her, and what they like would point to. But like, for me, that's been the problem with the show for most of its run. So, listeners, uh, add the televerse, send the hate. I know that I know that you all want to, um, but yeah, I've, I've where you're at right now, Noel, is where I've been for a while with this show. That's fair. And I, I don't necessarily, I don't, I obviously don't agree that it's something that's been running through the show. And I think it's really something that's been like more so like started a much heavier creep like last season and is basically full blown this season. Um, particularly mm-hmm. in like what you were saying regarding like who Liv is. And I will say that like some of that sort of shifts to a certain degree next week in um, Goon Squad um, or Goon Zombie or whatever the episode's called. Um, that that sort of shifts and what Liv wants um, sort of like begins to change a little bit, and I'm hoping that that's something that's a sign of the show recalibrating a little bit. But that's something that you and I can discuss next week and the the weeks after that to see if they've like follow through on that. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm I'm more receptive to your argument than I was like maybe a year and a half ago. But I also like feel like it's something much more recent than I think you feel like. Um, but I do think yeah. it's much more of a writing problem than it is a performance problem. Um, yeah, so no, it's sort of a it's sort of a thing in which I'm just enjoying the conceit of the show a lot, but it's just like uh, the seams are like much more sort of visible for me now than they were previously. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm looking forward to. I, I still, like I said, I still really enjoyed this episode. I think there's yeah. a lot to to appreciate. They, they like they nail some of that rom com tone particularly mm-hmm. well, which is not something like it's something that a lot of 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 shows and movies like try to to capture and a lot of them fail to um so there there's the right amount of whimsy and fun and absolute skewering of the genre like all together so yeah i i thought that was these were particularly i was particularly fond i guess of these two episodes Um, and and there's a good pull away from it too because it's just like tim timerson no bye (laughs) (laughs) well it, it doesn't hurt that you know the zombie preacher was a very minimal portion yeah. of all this and i was super on board for loose lips blaine i thought that was delightful and super yeah. fun <laughs> so i would not say no to more of that brain in the future but uh on that note what wins your week in drama and genre um i think i'll give it to necromancing the stone just on a sheer enjoyment level but uh, little black lies was also just really really strong so legends of tomorrow and black lightning i think sort of split my vote what about you yeah, I'm gonna give it to Legends of Tomorrow again because it's just super fun. I yay! Like it's just, I don't have anything like deep or meaningful or nuanced to say. It was just fun, and I'll take it. Yay, fun! Thank you, Legends, for correcting some tonal things and like sprucing up some of your characters so that we actually know who they are and care about them. And I hope they can keep it up all the way to the finale. 
Hopefully, yeah. Now we will take a break, listen to a little of that Truly Madly Deeply by Savage Garden, uh, featured in this week's iZombie, uh, as we head into our deep dive on Adventure Times, uh, second to last four episodes. Uh, Blanana's Jake the Star Child, Temple of Mars and Gambaldia. Yes, indeed. Well, not yet. Soon, soon, but not yet, Noel. So we'll take a break and come back with some more Adventure Time right after this. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week in the spotlight section, we're taking a look, uh, a bit of, a bit of a deeper dive with Adventure Time and the, the episodes that they released this week. Blananas, Jake the Star Child, Temple of Mars, and Gumbaldia. Um, so glad to have Adventure Time back. Uh, Noel, do we know how many episodes there are in season 10? Well, this is the sad news, Kate, is that these are the last four before the last four episodes. Wait, there's four more? Yes, and that's it. They dropped a trailer for it today. Um, oh, wow. This. Yeah. I'm not ready. No, no. I watched the trailer and just said, my body is not prepared for this. Um, <laughs> but there's no um, release date for when uh, the final four episodes, which are all titled Come Away, Come, uh, Come Away With Me. Is that it? Come Away With, with Me. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're all titled that. The trailer focuses on the gum war um that uh pr- that uh ends uh this uh quartet of episodes um and i am i am not prepared for this i yeah. am really seriously not prepared for this because i have questions especially just on from temple of mars <laughs> so. yeah i figured we had at least up like i figured there were at least going to be like another eight like yeah. not just four wow okay well, we'll have thoughts on those when whenever they air them, uh, which I got like I kind of don't want them to. I want the, like another Ever. break because I'm just no, I'm just not ready ne- for it to be done. Yeah, just never yeah. air them. Adventure Time, we're we're fine. We're fine. Sure, I'm sure them. the Adventure Time fans would not hate us <laughs> for putting that out into the universe and making that happen at all. <laughs> but um, let's talk about these episodes that aired and i guess let's go in order do you well do you have a preference of these did one really stand out to you or was it just sort of a general build up towards you know where we're headed i feel like it's just sort of a general build up to where we're heading slash tying up as as many like really pertinent loose ends as possible mainly jake um so yeah do you just i think just going in order is fine and we can just kind of build from there um so what did you think about uh blananas I really enjoyed uh, just, like, watching Finn denial his way around uh, Jake being gone and that being 
totally fine, totally normal. He'll be right back. See, there's a note. Uh, it's been interesting to me uh, thinking about Finn's development and his progression over the course of the run of the show. Over at Consequence of Sound, uh, they put together a list of the top 25 teen characters in in TV history. And I contributed to that. And one of the picks on there is Finn. And the way that the show has really you know had him grow and mature and go through a lot of stuff and you know still be the same Finn that we met back in the pilot but be really informed by his aging by his experiences by everything he's been through um it's it's terrific writing and but it's also really just really interesting to think about and so him like he's been through so much <laughs> he's been through so much trauma and he's mostly like been able to process it and know he knows what he can deal with and he knows when he can't deal. Um, I think of course to him, uh, like destroying his alt universe selves, like, Nope, can't do this. Can't deal. No, can't deal with this. Uh, with like that laser thing on, I would say on the moon or something. Anyways, doesn't matter. Um, so, so, it was interesting for me to, to see Blanena's and like his response just being, we're going to dial. We're just going to say that everything's fine. And even though it's been five weeks, we're just going to pretend that it's normal that Jake's not here. Uh, I was surprised that it took Jermaine like poking him to get to that next stage, you know? Um, but, but, but yeah, having the, the manifestation of his concern and his denial be this joke that nobody gets um, was, I thought, really fun. And for me, I just kept try like psychoanalyzing Finn about, you know, his joke and why nobody else thought that was funny and why he saw the, the, the little caption that way and everything, um, which kept me thoroughly entertained, like, on a, on a deeper psychological level while I was just enjoying the silliness of this episode. Yeah. And I think that that points really hold true, but I think that this all episode also contains like a degree of denial, like you said, but also like self-exploration of like, maybe he's not funny. And I like this idea that he kind of has to come to grips with this idea that he's always thought he's pretty funny and entertaining. And then he has to go, well, no one's laughing at my New Yorker esque caption. <laughs> which is a very sophisticated sort of like reference for the show to make and i was also just getting serious seinfeld vibes um but it, that whole exploration of maybe i'm not funny plus doing it with through ice king who's another character who thinks he's hilarious that no one else thinks is funny um i just think that pairing's really kind of amusing so this idea that they're going to publish or revive bleh magazine um, so that they can like show the world how funny they are is is really funny and really amusing, but also feeds into that sense of like denial that you're talking about. And that once they kind of come to terms with who they are, they're a little bit happier. And also, you know, it ends with a b- banana peel pants slip pratfall, which is in and of itself very funny. So I, I think that you're right that there's just this huge thread of denial running through this on like multiple levels and i just it's such good development for finn like you were saying so i i very much agree yeah and it was nice to just get another wacky adventure with finn and ice king before the end (laughs) because 
I don't think we're going to get another one, especially knowing there's only four episodes left. Um, and, and like shout outs to Fiona and Cake and some of the other stuff that they fit in here. I thought yeah. it was, you know, a nice way to do that. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was also very much enjoying uh, the little bits we got with BMO. I'm also not anticipating a lot of BMO content in the last four. So I, I appreciated the, the 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 fight that they have and then the little wave through the window. I thought it was very cute. So it was nice to get a little like not the standard domestic picture because Jake's not there, but at least a little more quality time in the treehouse. And all I can keep doing is jumping to Temple of Mars and Finn going, but this is all they had at the store. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Good times. Um what about Jake the Star Child and the recurring theme that that Biodads are just are they're the worst in the so show? So bad. They're horrible. Biodads are terrible on this show. They're just so bad. And not only Biodads, like all bio parents yeah. and families. And like, is there a single positive biological parent or family in this show? Oh, I breathed into the microphone. That is not good podcast. Um, I mean, Lady's family isn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. They're just kind of inept, but they're not mean spirited or anything. Um, so I think LSP's they may... parents who are just hmm? they don't get it, but they're not terrible. LSP, her parents. Yeah, yeah. LSP. Well, it kind of depends on whose perspective you're looking at them from. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, so I think those are like the, those are maybe it or the two of them those are the only two sets of parents that immediately come to mind because Flame King is basically always reenacting Shakespearean uh, betrayals and tragedies um, uh-huh. Bubblegum is just um, not a great on many levels um, for her various creations which technically not bio but eh, it's a little it's a little weird um, then Hunts and Aberdeen Oh, right. Hunson's probably worse than Martin and Warren Ampersand, though. Warren Ampersand definitely has the best name. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Minerva's good. She just died before. Like, the Minerva we meet isn't really Finn's mom. It's, like, her consciousness. But, like, you know, she's been through a lot. She's kind of of the same person, but not really. The, The Minerva we see in flashback is very different than when Finn meets Zach, meets her. So... Yeah, I would say if if Finn hadn't been separated from her, she would have been a good mom. For sure, for sure. So yeah, at no. Least, at least parents. there's that. <laughs> lots of great adoptive families, though. Lots of great chosen families. Yeah. Lots of great adoptive families. But this this episode really, for me, emphasized that as a substantial theme of the series. <laughs> Not just and, one bad dad, but like a lot. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that Jake's kind of not the best dad. Oh, he's a terrible father. Yeah, not the best. I mean, he's supportive of his kids' various endeavors, but he's he's a very neglectful parent. <laughs> Absolutely. His his kids are all grown. He was an absentee father their entire life. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, what did you think of Star Child and like having taking in these precious last eight episodes, taking a whole episode to just have a random Yep, your dad was a jerk. That's all we got. You're stranded on a planet now. Episode for Jake. I like this. And I'm really sort of iffy on like really heavy Jake-centric sort of weird episodes. Um, So like the one where we're in his fur sort of. 
um, wasn't like one of my favorite episodes of the show as inventive as it sort of was every now and then. I just wasn't particularly moved by it. So I sort of liked this inversion of that um, idea in which he was on this world that Ampersand had basically created to do this one thing to like suck all his stretchy powers and like live forever and um so i I liked that um and i thought that was kind of amusing it felt like a little inversion of and i finally watched it kate of the whole um like plot hinge for gardens of the galaxy volume two Uh, (laughs) okay yep and so i uh, so it was cute. It was sweet. And I, and I mean, I figured it out like right away. It was just like, Oh, Jake, don't put on the belt. Don't put on the belt. No, Jake, don't. <laughs> um, so, but I, I liked the episode and I liked that we sort of at the very least, especially now knowing that we only have four episodes left of going like, all right, well, we've, we put a button on that particular storyline of Jake's parentage and what all that is. And I think that was important narratively to satisfy, whereas a number of other loose ends that may never be resolved, I think are more acceptable than having left this as a question mark. Um, so I was glad that we got this episode and I was sort of amused by like the end of it and visions that when we get to Temple of Mars, visions of Jake just running out of cocktail wieners and birthday cake. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, I, I thought that uh, it was dark. Again, he kills his dad. He throws him into a singularity. He throws him into a black hole. Uh that I mean, obviously, his dad just tried to kill him. I'm not saying that he's wrong, but that is dark. Uh, that being said, I do appreciate that we. I think we can feel pretty safe in knowing his. You know, his dad's not coming back in the last four, and I kind of appreciate that um, because that's not something you can say about most of the characters in the entire universe of the show. No, I, I absolutely agree that it was um, for the best that they did it like they did. And it is very, very dark, but I mean, Adventure Time has never been one to shy away from being very, very dark. I mean, you mentioned Finn refusing to kill his alt-universe sort of self. And I mean, there's nothing darker than like having to kill yourself in that kind of a fantastical sort of way. So um, I feel like it fit pretty firmly with uh, the rest of the show, but also with the overall approaches we kind of talk with dealing with not great parents, especially when those not great parents like to use and abuse you in their own special ways. Yeah. For me, I I like the episode. I thought it was fun. I, I did you know, like, I don't, I didn't need these answers about Jake's parentage at all. Like, unless it's coming up back in some way, meaningful way at the end here, I really didn't need that. Um, and having Jake get stranded so that Finn has to go save him and then now he's saved, unless there's some twist coming, like, I really didn't need any of that. Um, like, they, I could have had, uh, I, I could have been, I would have been perfectly fine just having, Jake trick his dad into uh ha- be like opening a portal for him to escape, you know? Like I didn't need that. Um but it was fine, it was fun. It was it was a bit again, I liked it when I watched it. I liked it in the context of these episodes. I'm less enthused in the context of there are only this is like one of the final 8 episodes ever. <laughs> but I really that's too much weight for any of these episodes to carry. So that's not fair. 
Yeah, and whereas, like I said, I'm sort of glad we got that button, and uh, I wish we had gotten it maybe sooner than we did in terms so that we could have used this 11 minutes, uh, 11, 12 minutes for something else. Um, but, yeah, what are you going to do? They're going to do how they roll. Yeah. Um, yeah. I liked uh, the, Jake, this, uh, sorry, I liked Temple of Mars quite a bit more. I will say. And uh, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, though, watching the episode. Like, because we get Betty being tested. And does she, like, pass the test? Does she do the, make the right choice? Um, and then I expected that to be happening for Finn. And it seemed like that's what Jermaine thought, too. But then that doesn't happen. So I'm, I'm still a little fuzzy on what exactly <laughs> happened in the second half of this episode. Um, but I, I did really enjoy this one. Yeah, I was a little fuzzy on what happened in the second half of the episode, too. Um, and I try not to think too hard about that, in part because Maru's magic slash technology is always a little confounding. Um, so I was just like, okay, I'll roll with whatever we're doing in terms of facing challenges and challenges sort of reflecting certain um, approaches for everyone, particularly Betty in this case. Yeah. Um and but now like knowing through the lens of we only have a few episodes left i'm just like wait you figured out how to save simon but we only have four episodes left and simon's been drafted to go fight in the great gum war <laughs> well i think we all know By that accident. Uh, yeah I, he, he's not there ice king isn't there for ice king ice king is there for for gunther and for the orgolorg inside of gunther that's that's yeah. why he's there but um yeah i I'm wondering, do you think we're headed for a Betty Resets the Universe ending? Do you like do you think Ooh. we're headed for an like a end of Ocarina of Time ending where the way that they like win or whatever is by resetting and getting to do it all over again? Wow, Kate, way to just spoil the ending to Orcarina well, Time. I mean, you didn't even give a spoiler alert. I know, I'm just the worst. I will never forget watching that after my watching my brothers play all the way through the game. Because uh, I'm terrible at video games, but I did enjoy watching my brothers play Zelda. Um, back before streaming, uh, all the different streaming channels where you could just do that on YouTube. Anyways, um, we and they got to the end of Ocarina of Time, and that was the prize. You you got leveled back down. You lost all your magical abilities. You lost your badass sword. You lost the the, the princess girlfriend, and you were a kid again. <laughs> my brothers were pissed. <laughs> that was the ending. Um, yeah, I I I'm a little worried. That's you know, I I don't think they do the end of this and and this episode the way that they do if that's not going to come back in a, in a big way. And again, that's another. We'll see. I mean, obviously, we'll see what happens. I and I did enjoy getting a little more time with Betty and these different like I like I like the choices they're making in general in these last episodes of of where to spend the time and how to spend it and with whom. Um. But I'm a little leery of a, like, I don't need an answer or a fix for Simon. Like, he's a tragic character, and I don't think there is a way to save him. And, yeah, I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you think? I, I do think he's a tragic figure, and I think that the show is pretty invested in saving him from the from everything. And I, I think that's sort of where this is leading up to, is sort of like a big... I think you're right in that there's some sort of big save 
or a reset thing possibly happening um, through Betty, uh, since Betty has figured it out, um, apparently. So I think that is where we're probably heading, but I don't know like how fast or how soon that's going to happen, um, or to what degree that's going to happen. Oh, hang on. Oh no! No, no, no! It's still working. I just oh. needed to make sure that I could see it still working. So <laughs> if it happened again, I wasn't just talking to air. Ah, okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So hopefully, 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 um, they're leading up to something. And I'm sort of with you in that I don't necessarily need Simon repaired, but I think or fixed or whatever. But I think the show's really invested in that idea that they they feel really committed to that idea and that they're going to do it in some fashion. Um, since he's, they've spent so much time developing that character and that backstory and that mythos. And we all really strong, uh, re, we all really strongly respond to that backstory um, that it, I, I suspect a number of people would probably be less than enthused if they didn't resolve it in some way. I guess I know for me, I, I like, I'm much more invested in sparing Finn some of his trauma than I am Simon. You know, maybe that's, I don't know. But I'm sure that there's there's no way they're going to please all the fan base. It's like, it's impossible. So. Oh, no, there's absolutely no way that's going to happen. I mean, I, I mean, can you just imagine like how many lingering questions there really are? It's just like, but what about Susan and her whole adventure thing? And just like everything literally that you can think of, there are a gazillion little threads that you can pull on and go, but what about this character? And what about this character? And just on and on and on. And it's very, it speaks to like the sheer multitude of this show. And also the fact that at the end of Gambaldia, they're just like, oh, no, we got a Legion of Doom, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> Well, and that that does lead us right into Gumbaldia, and um, this was a f- I, I this is a fun episode. I think my favorite was Temple of Mars, but then Gumbaldia and, and Lenana is pretty close, and, and Jake the Star Child was my least favorite of these. Uh, I really enjoyed the Legion of Legion of Doom that we see here, and like the little hints we get of what I anticipate being the resolution with Fern. Uh, I, I like I really think after having Finn need to kill Fern or weed whack fern that this he's going to be i think he's going to be able to talk him back down like we see a little bit of here and at, at the end but um so i, I liked what we got a little sneak peek of that maybe but I, I like having a legion of doom because then that lets us bring in all the allies and there's so many of them i'm glad that like having all of these villains gives us plenty of opportunity to need a lot of heroes so I, i'm stoked for that I am too. And especially because like some of those are like really sort of like beginning of the show, deep cuts of like Sir Slicer and Scorcher are are, like from really early in the show's run. And then uh, others are just folks that haven't shown up in a while too. Like I I feel like Samantha's from pretty early in the run as well. Um, But then just recurring figures like Mimao and Ricardio. Oh, that. (laughs) Oh, Ricardio. (laughs) How do we feel about Ricardio given uh the Me Too allegations against Takei? Are we like glad that Takei's back and getting more money? Well, I mean, they don't he doesn't say anything, so it's entirely possible that just Ricardio won't say anything. I mean, they've done that kind of thing before where they've had like prominent characters that they couldn't get the voice actor to just kind of exist in the background of a scene. Um, like they sort of did that with like root beer guy, um, before his demise, I think is like the actor didn't speak 
in that um that character didn't speak in that episode despite the fact that it was his last episode poor rupier guy um so yeah and so i'd be i'd be okay if ricardio doesn't speak um just the presence of ricardio is creepy enough for me um and also now it would just seem really fitting uh oh ricardio's been really tainted yeah yeah he has well, anyways, uh, other thoughts on Gumbaldia. How did you like the fight that we got? How did you like the, the machinations and evil Aunt Lolly? I really liked the fight. I thought the fight was really well executed and storyboarded um, and really exciting. Um, so I was glad to have that kind of a bit of action uh, crop up um, in these four episodes that were relatively uh, that sort of action light. Uh, so I was glad for that. And yes, the machinations of Aunt Lolly were decidedly transparent, much like the belts uh, from Warren Ampersand. But I sort of liked how it all went down. And um, I would have preferred maybe like them not overplaying it as much as they do with that dust and having, um, what's his name? Uh, Chicklet. Or uh, Chile. Chicklet. Chic- yeah. Um, like overplay that a little bit but it was sort of worth it for the payoff of watching um peppermint butler turn into young peppermint butler and so i sort of enjoyed that joke less demonic peppermint butler yeah um and uh you know i always do enjoy when they remember that finn and jake are are awesome they are not smart (laughs) we the audience are definitely smarter than they are um and so I like I totally buy I totally buy Finn just not seeing like what was blatantly obvious uh, to anyone watching and uh, being suckered and taken in. I also liked they felt like taking like that to be honest to Finn they needed to have him at least try diplomacy, which is a change in you know maybe what he would have done a while ago. Um, certainly like he like he's was one for adventure and you know fight the bad guys and everything so to at least try to resolve without violence i think again is a very late adventure time finn move as opposed to you know kind of highlighting how far we've come where what he would have done at the beginning of the show yeah no i absolutely agree and i think that's a really smart point in that his decision to do diplomacy is really i think is really smart but also it helps to provide a foil to bubblegum's especially in the later seasons, increasing like technocratic <laughs> despotism. Yeah. yeah. And you needed that kind of a course correction a little bit to make sure that, or like not course correction, but foil. So they, that stuff comes through really, really clearly. And, but I think that also speaks to just generally like sort of what we've talked about with Finn's overall development is that he's matured, he's changed. He's realized that while fighting is a fun outlet, like thinking about like the dungeon train episode, um that it's not always the correct answer for something and he's seen enough war battles and loss and even the battle with fern sort of reflects that sort of overall change in mentality of like there are other ways to do this and i think that that's again speaking about finn's development that's really interesting and uh kind of a potent statement about where he started the show where the show started with him and how that has shifted from this idea of i've always sort of described adventure time especially in the beginning and middle of its run as very much a show that 
was imagined by kids trapped in a playroom on like a rainy Sunday morning with nothing else to do. And they just came up with all these crazy antics for the various toys in the room. And then things progressively got more and more serious as they grew up and told these stories. And I think that's, that's been reflected through how Finn responds to things and how Finn responds to things here in, in this final episode before the last four. Yeah. Yeah. And just again, thinking about this, like, kind of Finn centric versus Jake centric episodes and their approaches to, like, these episodes highlight the ways they are similar and the ways they are very different. You know, like the the denial and, like, the sure, this doesn't seem sketch at all. I'm going to just go with this, which is what they're both doing for at least the first part of the first two episodes here. Um, And then, you know, before finally getting pushed to what they need to do or what's going on or the you know not wanting to see betrayal for jake with his with his dad at first but then like like fern is trying recently right fern is trying to kill finn like really explicitly and he's like crying as he's weed whacking him because it's so traumatizing because he's you know once again he's killing himself um in in this this strange way but jake is a father and so he throws, as soon as his kids are threatened, terrible father that he is, he's, he, without a second thought, without any guilt, without any, like, hesitation, he throws his dad in that singularity. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, I think an interest, when you, when I think about it in that context, it's making me appreciate the Jake episode a little more, but it's interesting to, again, take these standalones the the blanenas and star child and really have them be a compare contrast for these two main characters i feel like i know these characters so well have such a strong sense of who they are but i also feel like they could do another 10 seasons and i would still be learning about them yeah i i think you're absolutely correct that if we did another 10 seasons we'd still they'd still find ways to surprise us and also i think that just speaks to sort of the development of the show but also the development of finn and the recognition that Finn has been growing up and changing and going through so much and yeah. that the show is matured with him. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. Well, it wouldn't have had the staying power that it's had um, if, right. if it hadn't. And, and uh, it wouldn't have the staying power that I think we both feel confident it will have after the show's complete, uh, after they finish these last, you know, release these last four episodes, um, if it hadn't been for that. But uh, I'm not, again, you can take your time, adventure time. I'm not ready to say goodbye yet. So let, let me hold on to the denial, uh, Jake style. <laughs> that there's <laughs> only a few more episodes left. Just a little bit longer before Jermaine shows up and like, he's like, okay, it's on the DVR. The last four are on the DVR. Anyways, uh, a few shout outs here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV and what you're looking forward to in the, the final four episodes of Adventure Time. You can send us an email, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find the M4A chaptered feed and the MP3 unchaptered feed in iTunes. Um, and you can also find us in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. It helps people find the show and lets us know that you're actually out out there listening um and then of course we're both on twitter i am at the television and noel you are at noel rk thank you noel thank you kate and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week another episode of the televerse mm-hmm.